0: You're listening to Confronting Christianity, a podcast of Training the Church.
1: Because science, I mean, can't extend all the way to the feelings, and then as a scientist, you can either say, "Well, I have to deny consciousness exists," or I have to say, "Well, maybe there is something that I can't really cover uh, with with science."
0: Um, Stephen Hawkins had a a view along these lines. When we look at at artificial intelligence and say, okay, actually, you're a a computer, you don't really have a self, that actually we should flip that back and say, according to science, our sense of self is just an illusion.
1: I mean, if if you go all virtual, right, then the danger is that uh, you kind of... (laughs) get detached from reality, and uh, and that's a problem for the AI system as, as well. right? I mean, if it turns out the longer they go on, the more nonsensical the conversations get because there's no grounding in reality.
0: Hi, this is Rebecca McLaughlin, and I'm here with my new friend, Max Riesenhuber. Uh, Max is a professor in the Department of Neuroscience at Georgetown University Medical Center, and he is co-director of Joachan's Center for Neuroengineering. Uh, Max's research uses computational modeling, brain imaging, and EEG to understand how the brain makes sense of the world and how these insights can be translated into neuromorphic AI and augmented cognition applications. <laughs> Max obtained his master's degree in physics from the University of Frankfurt in Germany and his PhD in computational neuroscience from MIT, which is a short walk from where I live. Um, he's received several awards, including Technology Review's TR100. You have to tell me what that that is, Max. Uh, one of the 100 innovators 35 or younger whose technologies are poised to make a dramatic impact on our world. And he ha- holds a, or held an NSF Career Award. Max, it's a delight to to have you on the show. As they, if this is a show, I guess it's a show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Max, well,
1: we'll put one on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, t-
0: so tell our listeners um, how you and I first connected, because it's kind of fun. I, I enjoyed it anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a, a long time listener of your show, and uh, I thought, well, it would be interesting to also talk AI, because I think it's really interesting for Christians to think about the implications and uh, what the limits are, right? I mean, there's a lot in the media about, like, uh, well, these are going to be uh, taking over the world, and uh, uh, I think we as Christians have a unique vantage point to which uh, I think is helpful in the discussion.
0: Yeah, as I recall it, Max, you emailed me and said, I think you should have an episode on on AI and, and had some interesting ideas. And I said, great, do you want to be on the episode and do that? Um, so <laughs> it was it's dangerous um, to contact me. Tell us first, I'd love for, for everyone to hear a little bit about your own research and what first got you interested in, in neuroscience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, actually, I started out, I wanted to do AI because I think it's cool to have computers act the way people do. And uh, then kind of realized, well, I mean, we're trying to get computers to act intelligently, but we don't even know what real intelligence is. And so you're trying to copy something and you can't even see, so to speak. And, uh, and then period that you're doing neuroscience, and uh, then uh, see, I mean, our brain is so cool, right? Three pounds of fat between your ears and uh, can do amazing things like power a light bulb and, um, and enables us to have this conversation, for instance. And, uh, and so uh, just figuring out, so in our research, we try to understand how does your brain make sense of the world, right? I mean, seeing now, I see your face, right? And I uh, hear your voice. And uh, then we can actually extract meaning from that. And once you understand that, we can have computers do it the way people do, or we can combine brains and computers. That was the agglomerate cognition part. So mm-hmm. uh, we can see, uh, I get kind of best of both worlds. Um, and then we can do things we've never done before. So for instance, like have people perceive speech through touch and then couple the brain parts in a new way. So uh, yeah, a lot of fun stuff.
0: Gosh, yeah, no, that's like like delightfully drinking from a, a fire hose. Um, I, mean, I guess it's well, that's
1: that, MIT, right? Right, that's MIT.
0: I know, goodness <laughs> me. I, we have some kids from well, kids. Sorry, we have some students from MIT. Um, in in our community group and and in our church, and I'm always saying to them, "Gosh, you guys are really living the hard life," because I know almost every other university does all this grade inflation and blah blah blah. And MIT, it's just it's brutal and ruthless, and they. <laughs> Uh, I yeah. guess you're
1: used to Harvard, the liberal arts school down the road. Right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I mean Harvard's <laughs> a and walk in the park compared to MIT. Um, anyway, aside from that, so my my guess is that most people listening will have some level of awareness about the recent advances in artificial intelligence, and in particular, I think in large language models like um, Chat GPT, I feel like that's kind of captured the the headlines more than most. And these have been, you know, really good at mimicking human conversations, even you know writing essays for. Undergrads who don't want to do the work of writing their own essays and would rather have a computer do it for them. Um, my guess is that a lot of people are a little bit hazy on the details. So you've given us kind of the the first taste of of the sorts of advances that are happening at the moment. Can you give us like the two-minute briefing on state of the art right now, where we are, um, and where we might be about to go?
1: Sure. Yeah. So large language models, um, in large part kind of tips it off a bit, right? That uh These are neural networks, artificial neural networks that are trained on literally billions of documents, billions and billions, and uh, then they have a trillion parameters, and they're trained to, on the documents, to see what words follow one another. And it doesn't just look at one word, but it looks at the whole document, so to speak, and then says, okay, well, uh, given that document I've just looked at, what might be the next word? So so you train it, and then it gets these uh, regularities, and... um, then once it's trained on that, uh, then you give it a new prompt and it tries to see, okay, well, what's the next word that fits? So, for instance, mm-hmm. and, and the cool thing is it doesn't just do that from one document, but it builds these statistical dependencies from a lot of documents. So, for instance, uh, if I talk about Shakespeare, right, then I might know, okay, deer is like leaf or whatever it is, and in, uh, in like Shakespeare in English, right? And uh, and then I say, well, the uh, host of X Chatty is Rick Wolfman, and um then letters you start start with deer and uh, so it has all these little uh connections and the regularities and then i can ask well how would you how would shakespeare start a letter to the House of confronting christianity and then it would say leave rebecca right because it has all these statistical regularities and uh mm-hmm. and so uh, it's it's very simple but the power really lies in the large part right that you have all these documents that it went through that then make you produce the right answer. Well, actually, not really right. I mean, the kind of fitting answer, but Mm. the problem is there are a lot of other things that fall by the wayside.
0: Gosh, I now really want to ask ChatGPT to write me a letter from Shakespeare. (laughs) it would make me so happy, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I I read a a novel last year um, called Clara and the Sun. It was really interesting. It was written from the perspective. It was kind of in this this semi-dystopian world where parents would buy an artificial friend for their teenagers, i.e., a kind of artificial intelligence that that looked entirely human and kind of functioned humanly, but who wasn't actually human. And it's really, I mean, it's actually kind of a a painful book to read because once the the teenager then sort of is ready to go off into the world the AI, the artificial friend is, is kind of retired <laughs> um, and basically left on, on the junk heaps, just to, to spoil that book for anyone who was thinking of, of reading it, although there are other things, <laughs> other, there are other twists and turns in the story, so I haven't completely spoiled it. And I think that novel it explored quite profoundly because it gave us the perspective of the AI. You know, we saw through her eyes and we felt her feelings even when she was sort of not really even fully aware of her feelings. It so it's, it's beautifully written. Some people would say that maybe we're not quite there yet, but very soon we will be at a point where these artificial intelligences have become not human, but meaningful beings and that there should be, we should have a, a moral responsibility towards them. Think of them as a kind of who rather than a what. What are your thoughts on on that as a scientist and as a Christian?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, if you talk to, well, talk uh, to the uh, LMs, right, I mean, you, they're, responding complete sentences. So so it's easy to think like, okay, there, there must be a person like me on the other side, right? Because it can uh, produce these sentences. And yeah, I mean, for thousands of years, I mean, the only things people, I mean, only people could do that but uh, the issue is like underneath the hood, the nice thing is we know what these programs do, right? I mean, it's just a computer program that tries to pick the next word. And that's um, and very different. so beware, like Murphy says, complex problems have simple, easy to understand, but wrong solutions, right? And so mm-hmm. here you just have one principle. I'm just going to pick the next word. And uh, uh, it turns out then, uh, well, that doesn't even care about the truth, right? So uh, uh, like, like, like for us people, it's very important that we have The truth because that kind of what enables us to build community right that Mm. uh that that we have this basis that we say we care about and that that we can all agree on more or less right um but so the ai system the lms is just okay i want to predict the next word and uh and the problem with that is it means that uh well you don't care um does this actually correspond to to the truth i mean just like it does this fit and uh and so it makes for a nice conversationalist but uh so that's one issue. I mean, we, we humans care about the truth, right? And 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 then, of course, there's no idea of like a like a consciousness, right? I mean, of course, mm-hmm. artistic license. The writer can uh, write all they want, but uh, so there's no self, right? For us humans, right? There's uh, we have the idea of a self, and so we can actually move between okay, what's out there, what objectively is, and what our desires and beliefs are. And uh, uh, now, uh, computer systems. I mean, the program LLM, right? Again, it's just predicting the next word. So there's no there, there's no self, there are no desires, so there, there are no emotions, it doesn't feel like anything. So the mm. network doesn't care if you turn it off or not. I mean, it's like the uh, like a sheet of paper doesn't care if you rip, rip it in two, right? It's just a computer program, it's like, sort, you turn it off, well, uh, that's it. So there's a lot of things, a lot of aspects that just these network models don't even capture about mm. the like, mm. human intelligence and sentience.
0: Okay, I'm gonna flip that round and play sort of almost devil's advocate here. Um, because you know, you've you've made the case that these AIs don't have there isn't a self there. I vividly remember a number of years ago, I was at an event at MIT with MIT professor Alan Lightman. And he, among other professors, was was sharing what he believed about humans and about God and about the world. And he, I think, comes from an agnostic perspective. And he said this: our consciousness and our self-awareness create the illusion. That we have some sort of ego power, some I ness, some unique existence, when in reality we are nothing but bones, tissues, gelatinous membranes, electrical impulses, and chemicals. So, so from his perspective, as you know, a physicist who's also interested in, in philosophy and, and literature, and I think from you know some other scientist's perspective, you know, famously um, Stephen Hawkins had a, a, a view along these lines. When we look at, at artificial intelligence and say, "Okay, actually, you're really a, you're a computer. You don't really have a self." that actually we should flip that back and say, according to science, our sense of self is just an illusion. We're really just computers, but we're in these sort of fleshy cases rather than in kind of harder cases.
1: Yeah. No, that's, what does yeah, Professor Hooper yeah. say? <laughs> 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 well, you, you can ask Alan if he really listens to life like that, that he thinks he's just a, a gelatinous mass, right? I mean, he probably thinks he has a self, right? Um, but uh, but I think it's it's basically, yeah, I mean, if you're as a scientist, say, well uh science only covers natural phenomena right and then you hit a wall when you really try to understand the human existence like consciousness feelings right Uh, um uh it's like like david chalmers right i mean 30 years ago came up with this hard problem of consciousness right and it's uh Mm. how come this all feels like something and Mm. we're still at the same point where we were 30 years ago right because science i mean can't extend all the way to the feelings and then as a scientist you can either say well, I have to deny consciousness exists, or I have to say, well, maybe there's something that I can't really cover, uh, with, with science. I mean, there's a lot you can do about the brain, right? I mean, the brain is, is real, right? It's in the natural world, but then there are other aspects of the human existence. There's also like, uh, atheist philosophers like, like Thomas Nagel from NYU. I mean, he says, well, there's, there's even truth, right? There, uh, uh emotions desires values right all stuff that we can't really account for with this reductive materialist framework um but then we can't say uh well that it doesn't exist because that runs counter to our human experience
0: so so when he says there is truth though i mean taking taking god out of the equation here how what is what is truth even and especially what is what is moral truth (laughs)
1: <laughs> it sounds like Pontius Pilot, right? <laughs> well, so, yeah, indeed. indeed. <laughs> so, he asked, he well, asked the
0: right person, at least, Pontius yeah. Pilot. He like, <laughs> just didn't wait for an yeah. answer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think so, so, so truth is, uh, and we can we go all po- postmodern, right? But, uh, but again, I mean, it's not how we live our lives. We can say it's, re- it's relative or whatnot, right? Or it's a, it's a power claim, but, but, but in the end, we all live in the real world. And I think it's very helpful because it kind of grounds us, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, uh there, there are things we go out there and you and I can can agree on it, right? We, we look up and say, well the sky's blue. And so yeah, the sky's blue, right? And so um and, and so that's very important to uh to ground us. And it's uh, uh and, and as I said it's important to to build community, right? Because there's something we have to agree on. That's that's a way we have to interact. And uh I mean if, if you go all virtual, right, then the danger is that uh you kind of <laughs> Get detached from reality, and uh, and that's a problem for the AI system as as well, right? I mean, if it turns out the longer they go on, the more nonsensical the conversations get, because there's no grounding in reality, right? And mm. so and so basically, well, anything is possible, like if you start to fantasize. But uh, uh, again, that's not really what uh, how we live our lives, and it would be a very sad existence if uh, <laughs> there weren't anything like truth, because it would be mm. hard for us to agree on any.
0: Mm. So you said that the longer AIs go on, the more nonsensical they become. Right. I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit when it comes to questions of of ethics, because I think one of the things that that we're seeing and that you know there are various kind of news flashes about at different points is um, artificial intelligence is being asked ethical questions and coming up with extraordinarily wrong answers. I mean, this the the level of wrong that, regardless of where somebody's coming from. Religiously, at least if they live in our our sort of um, modern Western community where we have some shared ethical values, which I think, you know, <laughs> we could probably agree tend to come from Christianity originally. But like, you know, leaving that aside for a minute, do you think we should be concerned about the ethical direction that AIs are taking us in? Um, talk, us through, talk us through that little can of worms.
1: Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me. So Mark Noll wrote this book, "The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind," right, mm. and this that there is none, right. And so the, the scandal of ethical reasoning uh, in AI is well, there is no ethical reasoning, right? There's uh, uh, because. Was a bit of a painful all-
0: equivalence there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a little dig. Uh, so, but, uh, uh, well, well, well. The issue is there's no, uh, again, no grounding, right? I mean, f- for us humans, right, our ethics, I mean, we we, we all feel pain, we, we feel pleasure, right? And so, so so we can kind of ground that to these experiences. But uh, AI systems, again, there are no, they're, they're no feelings, right? So the AI system just learns from billions of documents, okay, well, I should probably say child abuse is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Or walk at the beach is good, right? And... Uh, uh, but there's no um grounding experiences e- even infants right before they can talk they have an idea of fairness for instance right and so for the uh, llms I mean all they know about uh, ethics well uh is whatever's in the documents you you train them with and that's an issue because uh well it's, it becomes very important like what do you train it with right I mean mm-hmm. if they got trained with like the literature of the Third Reich, right? They would have very different ideas about okay, uh, what should we do with certain groups of people, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that's because there's again no grounding in, in any kind of values, but it's just well regurgitating what's in the documents, and that's and it's very problematic. Right? I mean, you might know Isaac Asimov's like the uh, the the robot novels, where they had this cute idea of like having a few rules that give robots ethics. Um, and then all kinds of problems happen because it turns out, well, what is harm, right? And so if mm-hmm. you have no way to ground that in, then you're basically at the mercy of, okay, whatever do you think might be a fitting word there, right? And yeah. uh, and, and that's not how ethics works.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you gave the example of sort of Third Reich documents. I mean, the one that was occurring to me yesterday was, you know, clearly the internet is, is chock full of horrific pornography. Right. And if we were to train uh, artificial intelligences on sort of transcripts from pornographic videos, we would be training them into, you know, horrific lines of of ethical reasoning and and what is good and what is harm and and what's um, you know, what is pleasure, what is pain, and yeah, we we're in extraordinarily dangerous territory there.
1: There's actually there's a whole new job that that came up this uh, so this this thing called reinforcement learning with human feedback so there's all these people now um and and the big companies used to already have people who like in uh uh, third world countries right get paid very little to to watch all these graphic images right to kind of triage what what we here get to see and now in the same way they're being paid to like uh, rate the answers and then say okay well does that uh, live up to our standards, right? and uh, and and without that, uh, we'd be seeing a lot more crazy answers from uh, these LLMs. I mean, in the early stages, like uh, Bing. I mean, there was this uh, well-known example of: Is it safe to boil a baby? And then uh, uh, being told, you, yeah, it's, it's, it's safe, right? I mean, it's not going to hurt you. It's, it's going to, right. But of course, we know it, right. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, and so those are all things now that are kind of being patched. It's kind of like playing whack-a-mole, right? That, mm. uh, this idea that, uh, okay, uh, say something crazy. So, so now we, we, we teach the system, don't say that again, rather say that. Right. And, mm. uh, but again, you have a trillion parameters. I mean, think about a trillion. Like it's like 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 you and I, I mean, we each have like a thousand parameters, right? And and so every person in the world, and so so it, it's whack-a-mole with, with a trillion moles, right? Mm. And, and, and and the problem is you whack down one and it comes up somewhere else, right? Yeah. Just like maybe in Uganda or so, right? And so it's very hard to to control this because again, there are no there, there's no grounding, right? It's just like uh, these statistical regularities. You patch up one thing, and uh, then something else might not work, and that's been documented. Now there was a paper a couple of months ago that showed that tracking chat GPT over time, that it gets better at some things, it gets worse, it gets worse at other things, because it's such a hugely complex model that we can't mm. even begin to to control because again a trillion parameters um Mm -hmm. and, and and that's a huge problem if you think about ethics or so
0: yeah so so max what i'm hearing you saying is that scientists like you who are helping to develop this kind of thing are actually the enemy that you're bringing terrible things into the world that there's no <laughs> positive benefit to uh, the advances in technology in this area. Is that is that correct? Or, or yeah, almost? stuck I hear up on can
1: ca- stuck up on canned goods. Move to the basement. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> no. so we've talked.
0: You know, we talked appropriately. I think about the the negatives and the potential real dangers. Um, and I think. You know, humans are good at, at always um, seeing the potential dangers in, in advancing technology and kind of panicking. Um, and sometimes we're actually right to do that. But but give us the give us the other side as well. What's what are the goods?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I mean, it, it's great to like uh, when you're able to ascertain. Is that actually true? Is is that useful, right? I mean, mm-hmm. then it's a great tool. So, so one of my kids, uh, she, um, I see, I can say that now because she went on to college. <laughs> so, but uh, she, she was trying to get a job at Chick Fil A, and um, and so, uh, uh, and then she had to write a cover letter. And so she said, "Well, it's activity. Write me a cover letter for a job at Chick Fil A for." Uh, a girl who has four siblings and cares a lot, or something like that, and and out came this beautiful cover letter talking about mm. the fast-paced environment at Chick Fil A, and uh, and their hiring manager said that was such a good cover letter. Mm. <laughs> so, so I mean, for for these road tasks, right? It, it's great, right? That uh, or like brainstorming if you want to prime the pump, right? I mean, that's all very useful. But if you don't know, right, is this right or wrong? And you have to take this as gospel. I mean, it's, it's also an issue. And so, sorry, I'm being the Luddite again, but, uh, Mm. but I mean, the the issue is um, if you don't know what this is, right. And this is also why um, some, uh, uh, some countries are concerned, right. Is the answer going to be one I like, right. But here in the U S it's mostly, what do the companies think should be the Mm. right answer. Right. (laughs) But, but, uh, but again, if you, can say, okay, this is a good answer or not, right? I mean, then it's a really useful tool. I mean, it, uh I like it, uh, like cooking recipes or whatnot, right? Or packing lists. Uh, it's great because it's distilled all this, all the stuff on the internet into something that says, okay, what's the most consistent uh, pattern here? And that mm. can be really useful.
0: Yeah, yeah. So thinking for a minute about consistent patterns and um, what we might conclude from a, a set of data as to, to what should be the next step. Uh, if if I saw, you know, if I just picked up your resume, and I was asked to guess your spiritual beliefs, I would not guess that you were a Christian. You're actually, you know, one of the demographics, probably least likely to identify as Christian, you know, you like me come from Western Europe. um, And we both come from sort of what are sometimes described as sort of post Christian countries. I I think Germany is probably even more post Christian than than the UK and some, you know, probably lower (laughs) levels on average of, of sort of, a serious christian faith um you're a science professor you're a white man. all of these are against the the likelihood mm-hmm. of you being a follower of jesus so tell us were you just like raised in a in a christian family in in Germany and carried on or t- tell us the tell us the story <laughs> how how did we get how do how did I get to call you brother rather than just professor?
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, well, you can always call me brother, but um <laughs> <laughs> so the uh uh well I was raised in a in a Catholic home, but it was more like cultural, right? And uh mm. and then um during college and especially grad school, it was all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And uh and only uh after, after I got married, right, then um uh I realized, oops, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be in trouble. I've got to really mess this up because I'm so selfish, right? That uh mm. uh it was all about me. And and I mean, as we know, here we can we we can geek out. I mean, Romans one, right? I mean, the issue is that we wanna be in control, right? Uh, because we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. I mean, especially mm. here, here in America, right? Um, and so, but yeah, then God by your grace, right? And then you hit a wall, right? And so I've done like jail ministry for for a few years, right? And so and i mean people hit a wall they realize whatever i've been doing hasn't worked out right and mm. and that can be the best thing that ever happened to you right because yeah you realize you're not in control but there is someone who is right and that he actually loves you and and so that is then the game changer and mm. uh, and so uh, yeah so so we all got to be hopefully brought to the point where we just cry out to get here um mm. i need help i'm not i'm not i'm not i not create this universe right but uh but then uh yeah so then I start read the bible and uh and then my wife and I took yeah, this online religion selector because I mean who what what do we know right? I mean, so 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 it's, it's kind of like these online surveys like which Disney princess are you right and so so uh, what do you think about God right and so oh yeah I wanted to be like this this and this right and so that clearly was wasn't an AI system it like came out with these. Uh, I mean the first was Baha'i, and the second mm. one was Orthodox Judaism as the best matches. I don't I don't, I have no idea whether they so but we thought, okay, well this this sounds interesting, but <laughs> and so then we took another religious selector, and uh, but, uh, um, <laughs> but by God's grace we, we we ended up at a at a at a great great church, right? But um yeah, I think it's uh this experience and, and it's not like it's not a scientific experience, but but much more visceral, right? That mm. uh say, okay, here and I think science, yeah, I mean, a lot of scientists don't believe, but a lot of scientists believe too. And, mm, uh, yeah. and be, because, I mean, when you, uh, especially when you study the brain, I mean, you see how awesome it is, right? I mean, there's, uh, so, I mean, as I already said, right, I mean, and you have a 100 billion neurons, right? And, but, uh, and they all are set, I mean, each neuron is just so complex, right? You say like, wow, where did, uh, so, so uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful experience then if you're a Christian and then you, you get to do science and uh, so, but yeah, you, you can also do great science without being a Christian but I think then my, my colleagues are missing out, right, because mm, you really mm. can uh, then see here, wow, the, mm. uh, this points us to the Creator.
0: That's awesome. So Max, were you an assistant professor when you became a Christian or I'm just trying to track, you were post-PhD or you were in the tail end of your PhD?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, so I I got married after I got my PhD, so I, I was a postdoc and I mm. um, then I got the position down here at Georgetown. Um, and uh, so it was, it was kind of a gradual thing. And uh, I mean, it's kind of like an oil tanker, just getting, <laughs> gaining speed, right? Yeah. And, uh, um, but yeah, so it's 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 been a wild ride. That's uh, been awesome. <laughs> Love
0: it. Well, thanks so much, Max, uh, brother, for for being willing to chat with me um, <laughs> about all these fascinating things. I feel like I could talk to you for another three hours, but um, we'll, we'll say that for another time. Sounds good. Uh, you've been listening to the Confronting Christianity podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And if you like this episode, or if you hated it, or if you just felt indifferent about it, then please leave a review on iTunes. Feel free to include a question you'd like to see explored in future episodes. And you can join me next week. I'm going to be interviewing a friend who has a PhD in the Trinity, And I'm going to be asking her questions given to me by another friend who was raised Jewish and is exploring Christianity. Until then.